Good morning, church. I would be remiss if I didn't start off by saying, Happy New Year, church. Now, how many of you have been able to enjoy the first few days of this new year? Put up your hands if you've been able to enjoy it. All right, I see a lot of people and some smiling faces, and some others are probably just contemplating the credit card bills that have come in from the shopping spree. I feel your, your, your pain. But when we have New Year's, there are certain traditions that many people have. Some use the holidays to get together with friends and family. Others use it as a time to get away. But there is one tradition that happens almost exclusively around this time of year that most people tend to do. And you're probably uh, following along with me and you already know that that's making the New Year's resolutions. Now, according to statistics, approximately 75% of North Americans make New Year's resolution of one form or another. Now, while they can be quite diverse for the individual's needs, there tends to be some that happen over and over again and make up almost like a top 10 list, if you will. Now, I'm not going to go through all 10, but I'm going to touch on a couple of those because they have some interesting facts associated with them. One of them is people want to be happier. That might come out as they want to de-stress, find a way to enjoy life more, but it comes down to that they want to be happy. And there's a number of ways that do that, but I saw an article last year that really caught my eye. It was a grade school teacher teaching her class to have what she called a happiness challenge. She would tell her fourth graders, every day I want you to think about being happy. And then I want you to chart down to see whether or not you're happier or not. But what was interesting about this challenge was the title of the article, which said, that happiness may actually lead to sadness. Now, I didn't quite understand that, so I did a little bit of research, and it turns out that there are some psychologists that see that if you're trying to achieve happiness for happiness' sake, it becomes like a drug. You see the happy thought that you had today? Well, then you have to have maybe a couple more happy thoughts next week. If you did some activity this week that made you happy, well then eventually down the road you need a more extreme activity to give you that same kind of level of happiness. Eventually, people start to say, I just can't stay happy. I just can't jump off another bridge with a bungee cord to give me that buzz. And so, just like coming off of a drug, you rebound and you become sad or even depressed. Happiness for happiness sake just doesn't seem to work for many people. But then the other one, which is probably on the top 10 list of all resolutions, would, would anyone like to guess before I show it? That's right, lose weight, lose weight. You know, for men we want to get thin and buff for Ladies, we would like to be able to fit into that dress that we saw in the store or perhaps get back into a dress 
that you have in your closet. But there are challenges with that. People try all sorts of things. They try to eat new foods. They, there's this new pill out apparently that helps you to lose 30 pounds in a month and probably your life in the course of using it, but I'm not going to get into that. But people try all these different things to lose weight. But then over time, they run into troubles. They, they start to say, well, I just can't keep up with the new regimen. I just can't keep up with this new eating plan. They just have trouble staying on track. Well, for this one, I think I have a solution, at least for the ladies in the congregation. You see, there was a study that was done by a professor named Workman, and what she did is she looked at all the retail stores and measured all of the sizes that were made of all the different products over a series of years. And what she found was that a size 10 in 1987 was a size 8 in 1999. It was the same size dress. They just changed the numbers. You, you see, the manufacturers want us to be happy coming to their store, so they just change the numbers so we feel good. So ladies, if you cannot drop two dress sizes in 2015, you are shopping at the wrong store. <laughs> but all joking aside, according to the statistics, of the 75% of us that make New Year's resolution, over 60% will break those resolution in the first week of January. And then as you go through the month, that percentage increases until you get to the very end of the year where it turns out only 8% of people that start their New Year's resolutions are actually able to achieve them. Now, there are a number of reasons for that. But one of them is the society in which we live. You see, the society that we live in keeps giving us messages that say that we are just ordinary. Whether it's the, the, the media that we consume through our computers and now our mobile devices or the television programs that we watch or the magazines or the books that we read, they all tend to give us this message. You see, Marketing 101 says that you can't get people to buy if they're satisfied. So they have to say to us, make us feel that we are just ordinary. And this feeling has even crept into the church. You see, people are starting to think, you know, they, they, they have these feelings that, you know, well, they're not just special anymore. You see, you have the individual, the young person who says, I want to have a closer relationship with Christ, but I just don't feel that my church appreciates me or my contributions. And so they drift away. Or you may have an older person that says, you know, I am just too old to do anything significant in ministry. Or the person that wants to do a Bible study. I would love to do a Bible study, but I just don't have the ability. So they don't even try. Or people that are even currently in ministry. They, they do their best and they say, I would love my ministry to reach another level. But I just don't feel I have the time to commit. I just don't feel I have the capabilities. 
or people that want to come to Christ. I just don't know enough. I just don't know how to give my life to Christ. And what happens is that members of the church start to feel that they're ordinary. They just come to church. They stagnate in their ministries. They stagnate in their walk with Christ. But you see, that's not the way Christ sees us. He sees each and every one of us as special. He sees each and every one of us as a person that he wants to have a closer relationship with and wants us to move forward and upwards in our personal ministry and our lives. So today, we're going to look at the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. A story that we know well. And we'll see how Christ moves these two people that were just members of the church and move their lives into a place that they would never have imagined. My sermon title today is Not Just Another Member. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we begin to open your word, Remind us all that this is not an academic exercise. It is a transformative experience. That whenever we search your word, you speak to us. I have prepared the message with all diligence, but Lord, I am just a man. Wherever I may fall short in what I have done, let your Holy Spirit come out amongst your people and upon me to fill in the gaps so that your people hear what you need them to hear. I ask these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we will be looking at the book of Acts, chapter 8, and verse 26 to 39. The book of Acts in the New Testament, chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. The story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And so you can follow along in your Bibles. I will also have the text on the screen. I'll be quoting from the King James Version. For those of you that want to give your fingers a Sabbath rest. But feel free to follow along uh, in your, your Bibles as well. And we'll be starting in verse 26. And it says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise! Go toward the south onto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem onto Gaza, which is desert. Now there's a few things we need to know about Philip. Some people get confused and think Philip is one of the twelve apostles. He's not. He was just a member of the church in Jerusalem. You see, when the apostles came to minister, there were so many people that they said, we need somebody from amongst the congregation to help us in our ministry. We want to preach, but we need people to help with ministering on to the membership. Choose somebody among you who you believe the Holy Spirit is with. And so they chose Philip, who was just a member. And so his first role was as a deacon in the church. You'll see that in Acts Chapter 6, verse 5. And then as he goes along, he, he does his work with such faithfulness, Christ promoted him to another level. 
Soon he becomes a preacher, preaching in Samaria. And you'll see that in Acts chapter 8, verse 5. But Christ now has another role for him. He wants to take him even further in his walk with him. And so the angel of the Lord says, go towards Gaza through the desert. Now you see the people that would have been reading this text at that time, those that knew the, what we would call the Old Testament or the Bible back then, they would have read this with anticipation. You see, they would have known that when God's people go into the desert, something special always happens. Moses was called to his ministry when he was in the desert. Christ overcame the temptation from Satan when he was in the desert. Now, the things that happen in the desert are not always good things because you also have the people of Israel that wandered the desert for 40 years because of the rebelliousness against God. Even David had to flee to the desert because of his enemies. So they would have read this and they would have had that anticipation. What is going to happen to Philip? Is he going to be leading to a closer walk with Christ? Or is something terrible going to happen? So the interesting thing about this with Philip is that the angel spoke to him and not knowing what his future held, not knowing where he had to go, in verse 27 it says, and he arose and went. He didn't say to the angel, but I have a house here. I have work here. I have a RRSP plan that is tied to my employment. The angel called and he just got up and went. That's a powerful message for us today. When Christ calls us and says he wants us to work in ministry for him, we need not ask, well, but Lord, where are we going? Where are we going to end up? We just need to arise and go and do. But some people have challenges with this. I know I've talked to people that say, well, I am praying. I'm asking Christ, what, what is it that you want me to do? How can I best serve you? And I can't seem to get an answer. And what I do is I point them to Matthew 28, verse 19, that we all know. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. You see, when we're not getting an answer that we're hoping for, we just need to look to the scriptures. We've all been called already. We just need to be like Philip. Arise and go do. Let's, let's go back to the text. In verse 27, so Philip, and he arose and he went, and beheld, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. Now there's a lot in that passage. We're going to take a look at it a little closer. So first, we see that, there's, that what Philip is seeing in the distance 
is this Ethiopian eunuch. For those of you that don't know, that is a man who has been castrated. You see, they did that back then because they believed that a man that was castrated serving the king or queen would be more dedicated to that king or queen because if he tried to have a coup, he would never have descendants to take over the kingdom. So he would be a very good servant. Now, when you actually study the history of that in nations that did that, you find out that eunuchs were often more manipulative than those that had all their parts. But that was the thinking back then. You know, things change. But he was not only a eunuch, he was a man of great authority. He held the purse strings for a kingdom. This would be like in today, in the corporate world, a, a chief financial officer, or for a government, a ministry of finance. So when Philip saw him going down that desert road, it was not just a guy riding on a horse. He would have had a whole entourage with him. The security detail, the assistance, and etc. But the Holy Spirit is being very specific in the, in, in the inspired pen of the writer here. Because he's not just holding the purse, purse strings. He's holding the purse strings of the Queen Candace, a queen of the Ethiopians. Now, when you look at Candace, you realize there actually in history there is no Candace. Candace is not a name. It is actually a title. Just as they called the kings of Egypt, Pharaoh... They called the queen of Ethiopia Candace. And when you look back over the history, this particular Candace was one of the wealthiest queens in Ethiopia that they've ever had. It was a great time of prosperity. She engaged in a number of building projects. So what the Spirit wants us to see is that this Ethiopian eunuch is not just any functionary in a government. This is a person who's working for one of the major kingdoms, has great authority, great influence on those around them. And God has a plan for this man. And he has a plan for Philip as well. So we continue on in verse 28. So the Ethiopian, he was returning and sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah's, Isaiah the prophet. Now, I forgot to mention that not only was this man of great authority and great pull, he was also a man of great faith. Because where was he returning from? He was returning from Jerusalem where he worshipped. Here is a person who is just a member of the Jewish church, who was faithful. He read his Bible he attended temple. He even went the extra mile, literally extra mile, going hundreds of miles, traveling from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship his God, to study his word. And on the way back, he was sitting in his chariot reading Isaiah the prophet. <clears throat> and so the Spirit then speaks on to Philip. And he says, Go near. And join thyself to this chariot. Philip, who works up to his full ability of whatever he has, when he hears the Spirit call, he doesn't just go do. In verse 
31, it says, he goes and runs. Or in verse 30, rather, it, he says, and Philip rather ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, understandest thou what thou readest? He ran over. He heard the Ethiopian reading this passage out loud. This question that he asks is a critical question. We're going to talk about that in a bit, but I want to hear the Ethiopian's response. In verse 31, he says, But how can I understand what he's reading? How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. You see, the question was really important. But what was going on before we got to the question was equally important. You see, the Ethiopian was completely having a difficult time understanding what he was reading. We know that because as Philip got closer, he could hear him reading out loud. Now, I don't know about you, but what would sometimes come across my desk? People would write things and it would be so poorly written that I would read it, and I would pause, and I'd read it again, and then I'd say, okay, I'll start to read it out loud, somehow hoping that it would click in. Now, we're not saying that the scripture was poorly written, it was just that the Holy Spirit was trying to bring the Ethiopian to another level. And he was having him struggle through the scriptures, try to understand it. And here he is reading out loud, hoping that it will click in. And Philip came up and said, did you understand what you are reading? As I said, that question is critical. Because the question, he, Philip could have come up and said, the Holy Spirit sent me to help you sort this out. I am an authority on that piece of scripture. I can help you out. The Ethiopian in his chariot with his entourage would have probably looked down I said, oh, another hitchhiker. Security, you know, get rid of this guy. He would, have, he would have probably said that. Why would he pay attention to someone that just ran up to his chariot? But the question that was asked was one that was very neutral. Do you understand what you're reading? It doesn't say, I'm an authority of Scripture. Do you understand what you're reading? It doesn't say that I've come to help you. It's the kind of question that opens a person to a response, a non-threatening response. You see, sometimes when we are trying to evangelize to others, instead of asking questions, we like to make a lot of statements, telling them what they should and what they can't and this and that. Often we need to be asking more questions that invite people in so we can share with them what's going on. I want you to take a look at this. This, I'm going to talk about a study from a place called Lifeway Research. And what they did is they look at 1,500 people that do not go to church. They just don't go to church. And they asked them a simple question. Can Jesus make a difference in people's lives? And their answer, 71% said yes. 
So they took these 1,500 people and asked them another question, a simple question. Would you listen to someone sharing Christ? And the answer there, 78% said yes. Now, how often have you heard, well, we can't just evangelize to this generation. This generation is not interested in hearing about Christ. People just aren't interested in hearing about Christ. Well, these results would say opposite. Often, too often, we are trying to make statements instead of asking questions. What is it that you understand of that Bible verse? And when they say, well, then let me share with you what I understand. What is it that you believe? And then it gives you the opportunity to share what you believe. The question is key. And Philip, led by the Spirit, ask the right question. And so now the Ethiopian and Philip are sitting in the chariot together. They are studying. And the place that they're studying, as it talks about in verse 32, was where it read, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer. So opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? Now we know today that that passage is taken from Isaiah. Chapter 53, verse 7 and 8. And we know that this was talking about Christ our Savior. This was the passage that the Ethiopian was struggling with, trying to understand, speaking it out loud. And in verse 34, the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speakest the prophet? Of himself or of some other man? He wants to know the answer. He is seeking a deeper relationship with Christ. Maybe when he went to temple in Jerusalem, someone had talked about the Messiah. Maybe someone had mentioned this passage and he was trying to prove it for himself. He was trying to study it, trying to understand. And he's asking Philip, who is this person? And because he had shared and he's giving Philip the opportunity to share. In verse 35, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at that same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. He started at that same passage. He would have talked about how our Savior was led to his death on the cross. That he did not put up a defense for himself. He wasn't even given the dignity of a courtroom appearance. But Christ knew it wasn't about defending his work. He had to do that so we could be released from our burden of sin. So we could have the opportunity at everlasting life. So he just went towards the cross knowing his Father's will. But Philip wouldn't have stopped there. He would have talked about Christ's ministry. He would have talked about his baptisms and all the wonderful work that he did. And right there, right there was the beginning of the transformation for the, the Ethiopian eunuch. As well as for Philip. In verse 36, 
says, And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and that eunuch said, See here, see here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And then Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And the Ethiopian eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Right there, his heart was sealed. They went through the Bible study together. He saw it for himself. He didn't have to wait on the word of somebody. He proved it from the text that Philip led him through. And he knew his Savior had died for him and was offering him a new life, offering him a way to transform his relationship with Christ in a way that he could have never have imagined. And so then in verse 38... And he commanded the chariot to stand still. His whole entourage now. Remember, it wasn't just one horse. His whole entourage. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. He went down into the water, symbolizing Christ's death. He came up, resurrected, symbolizing Christ's resurrection. And he was transformed. His life was brand new. And it was joyous. Because we see in verse 39, And when there were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he, meaning the Ethiopian, went on his way rejoicing. As I said, there was a transformation for both men. We're going to get to Philip in a second. But the Spirit had more work for him to do. He said, okay, I have taken you to the next level. It began here. And we're going somewhere else. I'm leading you to do another work for Christ. But the Ethiopian, whose life was changed right there and then, he had a joy in his heart. I'm going to bring you back to the time when you were all baptized. I know when I was, I had a big smile on my face for the entire day. And I could talk about Jesus all the time. So you can imagine for this Ethiopian, if he was struggling with the word of God, reading it out loud, you can imagine the rest of that trip back to Ethiopia. He was probably calling out the name of Jesus. He was probably saying, singing his praises. And probably by the time they got back, there was a few in his entourage that were ready to go into the baptismal pool. But as I said, this story of Philip and the eunuch has a message for each one of us, these two individuals. There's a message for us in here because it's about our transformation and we need to take a closer look to understand. If we take a closer look first at the Ethiopian, we can see how there's a message here for us in Christ. See, he was just a member of the church. Just a member. But he was seeking a deeper relationship with Christ. That was the key. He wasn't just coming to church week in and week out. He knew Christ had, or, or he knew that there was Christ somewhere. He believed in God, but he wanted to know more. And so he sought out the word. He studied it and he said, God, bring me into a deeper relationship. And Christ taking what he knew 
to the best of his knowledge, brought him to the next level. But he couldn't have done that if he wasn't humble. You cannot go to the word of God thinking you know everything. You have to go seeking and on your knees and asking in prayer. So if we need that deeper relationship with Christ, if we feel that we are stagnant in our relationship with God, we need to go with an open heart. And He will take us to the next level. And Christ used him in a special way because he was also in a position of authority to teach others. Not only am I sure did he speak about Christ all the way back to Ethiopia, but because he was a man of influence, because he held the purse strings, because he was the minister of finance, I am certain he had an influence on those around him. In fact, those according to church tradition say that when the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized, That was the beginning of the Ethiopian Christian church. There's a message for us in the Ethiopian today. But there's also a message for us in Philip. And if we take a closer look at the information about Philip, we'll see that there's something in there for us as well. Because remember, Philip was just a member of the church. Just a member. He was coming on a regular basis. He was praising God. And he was called to ministry. He became a deacon at first. And he worked faithfully with his ability, with what he had, doing what he could. And Christ said, I'm going to take you to the next level. So he became a preacher. And he preached to Samaria. But then, see, when most people look at the story of Philip and Ethiopian, they stop at the Ethiopian. But we need to understand that there was something going on for both of these men. And it happened right here when Philip was talking to the Ethiopian. Because then his new set of ministry happened. After this point, Philip was called an evangelist. Do you understand what you read? That was his opening. And after that, his ministry took off because the Holy Spirit took him and it says that he preached basically all the way along the way, everywhere he stopped. And when uh, the Apostle Paul came to him, it talks about in Acts 21, when he wanted to stop over at his house, he came to visit Philip the Evangelist. That's what it says. Christ took him to another level. We need to work with what we have, with the light we are given, and we know Christ will take us to the next level. In Testimonies to Ministers and Gospel Workers, page 507, Ellen White, who's talking about the latter rain at the end of time and how the Holy Spirit will pour out His power onto God's people, she says, those who are living up to the light they have will receive greater light. And we see this in the story of Philip and the eunuch. So we know with certainty, if we want a closer relationship with Christ, He will give it to us. We just need to seek it. We just need to be humble. So for the year 2015, when the world says to us that we are just, ordinary. We are just members of the church. We need to wipe that all away. 
For the young person who says, I want to seek a closer relationship with Christ, but just, no, pause and put that out of your way. All you have to do is remember about young Samuel who had a powerful ministry and it just started when God called him and he said, here I am. For the older person who says, well, you know, i just too old. No, you're not. Just wipe that away. Remember Moses, who was 80 years old when God called him into ministry. And a lot of other prophets were well past retirement age and did powerful ministries for God. Or when somebody says they want to do a Bible study, but they just, well, forget about that. Just do, go forth, Christ will lead you. He says He is with us always. If you're doing His work in faithfulness with the light that you have, He will make sure that He will take you to the next level. And if you are doing ministry, but you don't know how to get your ministry to the next level, work with the light that you have. Christ will take you to the next level. It might take some time. We're not looking at a 90-day program like what some resolutions are. This is a lifetime process, but Christ will take you to that next level if we are faithful and if there is people that are saying I just want to accept Christ but just there is no just we need to say yes to Christ we need to say yes I want to be transformed I, we need to say yes I want to be in a closer relationship and Christ will take care of the rest you see, we weren't just born. God did not just make us for no particular reason. We are not just members of this church. We are members of the body of Christ. And so just as a human body grows, Christ will take us with the light that we have, with the abilities that we have, and work on us, and shape us, and bring us to a closer relationship. So we need not be discouraged in where we are in our walk. But Christ will take us to the next level. We need to say yes. So at this time, I want to I make three appeals. The first one is for those that are currently in ministry. It could be a ministry here in the church or a ministry outside of the church. Anyone that is in ministry right now, I ask if for 2015, you want to take where you are now, where you might have been thinking, I'm just, and you want to wipe that away, and you want to give your heart to God and allow Christ to move you to the next level, I ask that you stand. And if you have trouble standing, you can put your hand up as well. And then I want to ask for those that are members and visitors that for 2015, wherever your relationship has been with Christ, know that Christ wants to be deeper with you in that. And if 2015, you want that relationship to go deeper, you don't know how, you don't have to know how, but you want to go deeper, then I ask that you stand as well. And finally, the last call is for those that have not yet accept, accepted Jesus Christ. You may already be standing. Maybe your relationship 
has been very slight. Maybe you're a regular visitor to this church and you want to become a permanent visitor. Maybe you even have your membership somewhere else and you want to transfer it here. Any of those. If you want to give your life to Christ, if you want to go down that path where you start Bible studies leading to Christ, you don't have to ask yourself, well, I would, but I just don't know. Don't worry about that. We're past just. That is the world. If you want to have a close relationship and enter into a baptism with Christ, just put up your hand. Amen. 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 Just keep your hand up. I, I just want to make sure I see everybody. Amen. Amen. So I, I want to be able to talk with all of you, with maybe some of the elders of the church afterwards. But I think this is 2015, and there's no more just. Christ has called us all to be in a deeper relationship. And we need to say yes. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, your word has been spoken and has touched the hearts of your people. Lord, it is a new year. Charge us at this time to go forth with the passion of the Ethiopian. Take us, Lord, to the next level in our ministries, in our walk with you, like Philip, who was just a member of the church. Let us all know, Lord, that we are special. The world might say that we are just ordinary, but that is not the case. We know, Lord, that we are part of something greater than ourselves and part of your majesty. So let us walk forth out of this place, remembering that going forth and spreading the gospel wherever we can. And I want to thank you, Lord, for the hands that were raised of those that said that they wanted to enter in to baptism into your family. I ask that you watch over every one of them. Let this church membership support them and nurture them. I ask these things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.